Morning. How y'all doing today? So my name's Chris, and some of you know me, and some of you probably only recognize me because I'm wearing my beanie today. Uh, someone, someone mentioned to me, uh, well, several people mentioned to me over the years that when I take my beanie off, they don't know who I am, so I wore it for you all today. <laughs> Selfishly for me, because I like my beanie. Um, I've been wearing this one for probably 15, 20 years. Take care of them. Um, <laughs> today, actually, so I spent a lot of time reading way too much of the Bible to figure out what God wanted to convey to us today. And where I landed conveniently lines up quite interestingly with the worship set that uh, Worship Live put together. Uh, we can say all the things we wanted, like, you know, God ordains things, and sure, I agree with that. But simply put, uh, where they landed is where I intend to pick up from. So one of the things I think that is uh, unique to Christians, uh, we spend a lot of time and energy trying to figure out calling. So on this stage, the, uh, the idea has been mentioned time and time and time again. Now, let me ask you all some questions, so I need a little bit of crowd participation. Uh, how many of you came to college knowing exactly what degree you intended to get and are still in that degree? Everybody look around. Cross-section, please. How many of you came to college and have already switched your degree? How many of you still have no idea what you want to be when you grow up? So, it's interesting that we talk a lot about calling, but it's really hard to nail down what calling actually means and what it actually is. And that's where I want to take us today a little bit. I think that we spend a lot of energy stressing about this idea of what God has called me to do. Now, I'm not saying there's not a thing like vocation. There is. We all have vocations. I work as an audiovisual engineer and an instructor here is my primary two roles. And you may work in all sorts of different roles yourselves. Some of you work in the CAF. Some of you work uh, housekeeping which, by the way, Hidden Housekeeping People, you're amazing. Um, it's an underappreciated job, but we all know when it's not done. So, there's all other sorts of roles, you guys. Some of you do valet parking, some of you work at Chick-fil-A, some of you work at, I don't know, Starbucks. Uh, you know, the list goes on. Some of you work as student employees here. Some of you have had job ideas that you want to do after this. You have internships you're lined up right now, and you're going to graduate this fall, and you're going to go work in an industry, and you're going to make amazing amounts of money. You're going to support yourself, and you're going to support the people around you. But I'm getting away from myself. Um, but I don't think that's your calling. I don't think your calling has anything to do with your vocation. So where I want to land today, and uh, the verses, verses are going to be behind me on the screen because, well, you know. Yes, I did make my own slides. A little weird, but 
you know, it is what it is. So we're going we're gonna to kick off in uh, Mark chapter 12. Uh, we're going to read verses 28 through 35, but I want to set the stage a little bit for you because uh, the way the text sets up itself is intentional. So preceding this, you have two interactions that Jesus has, one with the Pharisees and one with the Sadducees. Uh, the first, the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus in this, in this idea about um, paying taxes to Caesar. So, and Jesus conveniently finds a lovely way around that in the way that only Jesus does. And then the second following that with the Sadducees who were trying to trap Jesus in something about the resurrection, when he's talking about this this uh, guy died and his wife then went to his brother and then his brother's brother and just went down the line. So whose wife is she in the resurrection? And Jesus is like, nah, I'm good. I can answer that one and you all shut up. After that is when this comes in in the text. Now this is intentional. He's setting it up. You have this scribe who's going to ask Jesus a very direct question. I don't actually believe that the scribe is trying to trick Jesus with this question. I actually think the scribe is doing something else, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. So let's read. So, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no one other, no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to them, said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So we already set up the context just a little bit. But Jesus is not just making something up blindly here. Jesus is looking at the biblical text. Now, if you understand from Jesus' time, the biblical text was basically the Old Testament. There was no New Testament because it was kind of in progress um, and working on being written. So as Jesus lives it out. So I'm not sure if you're all familiar where, from where this comes from, but we want to go back and I have a slide with a couple of verses on there up there, guys. Uh, with both Deuteronomy and Leviticus. So this actually comes from two different texts in the Old Testament. The first being Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And then Leviticus nineteen eighteen, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, I want to point something out because I think it's actually really important in the biblical text. Anytime you see the word Lord all capitalized, it is referring to the Hebrew word, the Hebrew name for God. 
Jews traditionally pronounce that Adonai, or Adonai, so where we get the term for meaning Lord. Uh, a lot of Christians are very open and content with pronounce, pronouncing it as Yahweh, or Jehovah, or Yehovah, depending on how you want to decide it actually was pronounced. No one really knows the actual pronunciation. It's very vague and unclear. It's four consonants. Uh, and Hebrew is a very consonant-driven language. Now, because I actually really do love the, uh, the uh, biblical languages, I have this nice fun one up behind me. Uh, by the way, did you all know Apple has a built-in Hebrew script that does biblical Hebrew pointing just fine? Windows still, does, you have to put one in Windows, it's fine. You get like the SBL ones and whatnot, but it's actually really nice. So for those of you out here who actually are in the Hebrew classes, maybe you can read that first sentence. Yes, I transliterated it underneath. Uh, but this actually comes from, so this is part of a famous Jewish prayer called the Shema. Now the Shema includes this, it starts here, but it goes a heck of a lot farther, and I'm not going to go down that pathway, but it's mostly like a confession of faith. Now, when you read this, it says, Shema Yisrael Adonai, or Yahweh, Eloheinu Adonai Echad. So yes, you should translate that as, hear, O Israel. Notice there's another word in there. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. In Hebrew, the to be verb is implied. You could translate it either way that you see it. The meaning is still intentional. This is, a this is a confession of faith that every Jew to this day who is actually a very pra a practicing Jew will say every single day of their life. It's like the bedtime prayer. You start here. It is a confession of faith that they are stating that, yes, Yahweh is God and he is one. This is, so Jesus is framing this idea of the, ten, of the greatest commandment, sorry, the greatest commandment as being that God is Lord, that he is who he says he is, he is God Almighty, and that he is one. And he stops. Every Jew listening to him knew what he was quoting, and every Jew knew the significance of what he said. The scribe who comments later is very, very much knows where Jesus is going. So, he continues on, and uh, in, in the passage, if we want to go back to uh, the previous Deuteronomy 6, 4, or 5, uh, he goes on in here, and he, he continues and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, you might notice that in the uh, New Testament, it adds four words in Mark, but I also want to point out something in Hebrew called parallelism. So you should be familiar with this because oftentimes in our Western ideology of how we approach understanding God, uh, we assume that we have compartments to ourselves, like almost parts of us, pieces. Like you would say, no, I have a heart and I have a soul and I have might or strength. But that's not how the ancient Hebrew would read this. They would read this as with all of my being. It's a reiteration, it's parallelism to make an emphasis for where it's going. So Jesus, when he pulls this out, he's like, yes, the Lord your God, he is God, he is one, and 
you shall love him with all of your being. He then follows up in, uh, in, the, fall, in the next verse, uh, if you want to flip back to Mark, please. Sorry, I did not put these in order for you, so I'm just going to tell you. Uh, so you flip back to Mark, and he goes in here and he says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Direct quote from the end of the Leviticus passage. There is no other commandment greater than these. When we talk about calling, I think Jesus makes it very clear what your and my calling is. And it's right here. Oftentimes, we want to pretend that other things should get in the way of our calling. But this is the calling. There is no other calling. There is no greater place we can be than literally affirming who God is, believing him, like the statement of faith and pursuing him passionately with all of our being to which the outflow of that is that we will love our neighbor as we love ourselves. You cannot do one without the other. He pairs them together intentionally, and the scribe in the following verses picks up on this. It says, you are right, teacher. I find it really interesting. This guy, so if you imagine this picture, uh, Jesus is, t- is probably in the temple teaching, and he's being questioned. The scribe looks at him and is like, you're right. This is the whole point of the scripture. Not just the Old Testament, not just the New Testament. This is the point of our existence. And he points that out, and Jesus looks at him and says, you're so close. You can do this. I actually think, I actually think this guy may come back in other sectors. We don't know. We don't know his name. We don't know anything about him. But when you're that close to the kingdom of God, I don't think it's so easy to walk away from it. But in our lives, how often do we let calling get in the way of it? We often want to define ourselves by our calling. We want our calling to be the point. So let me give you an example. My life. I have a BA in history with a minor in philosophy. I also have a master's in divinity. As a vocation, I work as an audiovisual engineer. You do the math. But that's not all I am. I'm a husband. I've been married for 18 years. To, I think, the most amazing woman in the world, no offense. Um, I am very biased. I'm also a father. I have three kids, a 12-year-old son, a 15-year-old daughter, and a 17-year-old daughter. But that's not all I am. First and foremost, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I also love music probably more genres than all of you here. I listen to everything. So everything you hate, I probably actually listen to. Everything you love, I probably listen to as well. I can't stand all of it forever, and I don't like Christmas music before Thanksgiving. 
Sorry. It's not, I don't, it's not that I hate anybody who likes it, I just don't like it because I like Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday. Anyways, I'm gonna just look down because I'm, I'm sure that there's people in here who are like, you hate Christmas. Uh, anyways, but let's, let's keep going on. Uh, just as much as I love music, I also love silence. At heart, I'm actually an introvert and I have no problem sitting in a chair in the dark all by myself for hours upon hours upon hours. I don't even have to do anything. It's weird, yes, but I don't mind it at all. Sometimes I read, sometimes I don't. I don't know. Uh, I also love really good food, especially Mexican. Now, I love a lot of other food, but I do have a special space. Tacos, man. A good Mexican taco is amazing. So I'm getting hungry, sorry. I know, lunch. Uh, I also am interested in other things. I used to play soccer. I still love soccer. It's God's sport. Absolutely. Um, I enjoy watching soccer all the time. I prefer to call it football because Americans are weird. We don't even, we don't even kick the dumb ball in American football, except for like every like 10 minutes. It's like, come on guys. Anyways, uh, I'm also interested in just about anything you can imagine. There is no topic that I don't actually like that I have found yet. I'm equally as interested in microbiology as I am in astrophysics, as I am in computer science, as I am in biology, as I am in, I don't know. I like too many things. And it's really annoying because when I grow up, I want to be everything. And I can't do any of it uh, because I don't have enough time. So if I were to define myself by the things I do, I don't know who I am. If I want to know who I am, I have to define myself by the simple baseline that God already provided for me. When you think about what, so, how many of you are graduating this fall? I know I don't want to have a lot of seniors in here right now, but it's okay. There's no judgment. You all have chapel credits. I get it. I don't judge you. Um, you're going to leave here and you're going to go to the rest of your life. And I will tell you two things about that. There are lots, but two simple things. One, you won't be in school, which is both lovely and extremely odd. If you have spent the last 22 years of your life or 20 years of your life in school, now you're expected to go, no more school, which is a weird transition. It usually sets in in the fall when everyone goes back because that's after the summer. Uh, and the other thing is that everything that you do right now is going to change. And that's not a bad thing. It can be very, very... Um, Anxiety driving, uh, terrifying. 
It can also be very freeing and open. But if you define yourself by the things you go and do when you leave this space, you will not know who you are. I'm going to take this passage one step further because I'd be remiss if I didn't connect this back into the discipleship process somehow. Uh, I am extremely passionate about discipleship. I think it is the only thing that actually matters. And all discipleship is framed in relationship and pursuit of God. So the greatest commandment is tied directly to this. So I want to fast forward this into Matthew. Chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. CJV, which is mine. (laughs) And any Greek professors in here? I think you would at least go along with my argument. Uh, I am standing on a a lot of other Greek scholars, not just myself, so. Uh, And you should go check this yourself as well. When you go, therefore, make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, by teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. In other words, love God and love the people around you. And you live that out by loving those in your context. Now, I'm not saying that there is no command to go into all the earth. I'm not saying that. Don't misquote me. I'm saying that this passage does not tell you that. The only command verb in this passage is make disciples. You are commanded to make disciples in every setting you exist. The margin, the context, i.e. your life So functionally, that means you are constantly working on making disciples of Christ in every context of your life, in every role, and in every job. Not because you have to check a box off, but because you love God and you love people, so you live your life in a way that looks, feels, and even smells different from those around you. And you intentionally love others because of their value to God. That is your calling. To draw this to a close, uh, because nobody really brings up the Old Testament very much, so I want to throw up a passage about numbers. When's the last time you read that book? You should all read all the Old Testament all the time. You should read the Bible over and over again. The only way you're going to know what it says is to keep reading it. And every time you read it, God will tell you more about it. But if you want to know what God thinks, then you have to read what he thought. You will not have things revealed to you that are not in the biblical text. I very much caution you that. If it's not in the Bible, it's not God. So in Numbers chapter 12, uh, we're going to do 2B to 8A. I'm going to pull a story out. And I'm just going to pull it forward just because I want to make a point. You should read it. It's a great story. It's the story of Aaron and Miriam and Moses and God. They were questioning Moses' 
authority about whether or not um, only he could hear from God. And that's where this passage picks up. And the Lord heard it. Ooh, that's a scary statement. Um, but anyways, now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the other people who were on the face of the earth. Imagine God saying that about you. <laughs> Imagine what God says about you. I'll come back. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. A lot of times we pretend that God only revealed himself in the New Testament through Jesus to people. And he did. To the disciples, he stopped speaking in riddles. He speak plainly, but they were not the first. There are many examples. This is a man, a man who tried to give God every excuse, but had one problem. He believed that Yahweh is God, that he is one, and that you have to love him with all of your heart all of your soul, all of your strength, and that you have to love your neighbor as yourself. And so he served God by leading a nation through all sorts of experiences, and this is what God says about him. God doesn't say, good job, Moses, you're a great leader. You'd make a great corporate executive, although he probably would have. Um, <laughs> He doesn't say, oh, Moses, you're so good with people. I'm glad your people skills are amazing. You have the emotional intelligence off the charts, although he would. But that's not what he chose to say. He chose to represent that he has conversations with Moses like you and I have conversations with each other. To God, the number one priority has always been the relationship with us. And that is why when Jesus presents the greatest commandment, the scribe looks at him and says, you are right. That is the entire purpose of the text. That is your calling in life. You will have vocations. You will have things you go out and do. You will have things that you will do you have never dreamed of today. Every one of you in this room is sitting in a seat because one, you're brilliant. You made it this far, you're brilliant. And you will go out of here at some point in your life and you will change the world one piece at a time. You are the future. 
You will do something. The only choice is what you do. And if your heart is grounded and your calling is grounded in who God is, then the rest he will just do. And you will find the path. You will find the way. And perhaps maybe you'll find yourself getting a degree and doing a job you never thought you would do for the rest of your life because God opens a door and you're pursuing him. We're out of time. I know. It's okay. There's no judgment. I put them up most of the time, so. <laughs> y'all think we just don't understand. Yeah, we, we get it. I'm going to let you all put the code in for a moment. And then if you need to leave, you're more than welcome to leave. But I want to offer you a space and a moment in silence. Because too often we provide settings that stimulate just our emotions and not our intellect. So if you would like to stay and pause for a moment and let God speak to you and let you yourself speak to God, the altars are open. If you want to pray with somebody, there are people up here you can come pray with. If you want to have a conversation, there are people you can come, come up here and have a conversation with. Pray with me. God, first and foremost, thank you that you are God. You are the center of our entire existence. We ask that you would make yourself known to us today, right now, throughout the rest of our lives, through the simple, through the mundane, you would capture our hearts and draw our focus and attention to you. Be with all of us, grant us grace to get the things done we need to do in the midst of the end of the semester. Help us find peace and rest and be more effective by your will and your grace. Amen.